Hi, welcome to DSO Overflow. I'm Michael Mann, the founder and organiser of the DevSecOps London Gathering, a monthly community meetup for anybody involved with factoring security into their delivery. Hi, thanks for taking time speaking to me today. Before we kick off, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Emily Young. I'm a cybersecurity analyst. I work for the government. I work for the government digital service, which is part of the cabinet office. Uh, I haven't been in cyber very long, really. I've only been doing this job for about a year and a half. And before that, I was into data analytics. So it's a bit of a pivot for me in terms of like what I'm doing. But yeah. So does this mean you have a strong coding background? Decent, decent. I did uh, like... So when I used to work for the Met Office, the, uh, the weather um, folk for the for the government, um, most of my time was spent doing Python coding to do data analysis of like weather patterns and things like that. So I got quite comfortable with writing Python code, which definitely helped uh, getting the job that I have now. <laughs> so back in 2019, my good friend. Imran Mohammed, who runs the company Practical DevSecOps, offered the meetup a couple of training seats for his online course. I suggested that one should be given to ladies of London Hacking Society, so I introduced Imran to Eliza to arrange the logistics. LLHS ran a pseudo-random prize draw. Basically, the entries were assigned a number between a range, and I was asked to pick a number. Emily was the lucky winner. One of the key conditions for the winner was to share their experience of studying and taking the exam during the course. And so here we are talking to Emily about it. Yeah, so it was actually, I heard about the whole thing from another meetup that I go to, because of you, of course, run the DevSecOps London meetup. There's another one, the Ladies of London Hacking Society meetup. Mm -hmm. Both of them are in London. So. Um, and I actually, they posted on their Slack group about the course, and they were saying, we've got a place to offer on this. Um, you know, who's interested, and um, they essentially kind of did a raffle for it, really, so, like, that, you know, everyone that was interested kind of put their hand up and said, yeah, I'm interested, um, and I'd be happy to, like, do the whole course and then, you know, talk about it afterwards and stuff like that, and they just assigned everyone random numbers, and I think you were the one that picked, like, you picked a random number, and then That's whoever right. that was got, like, drawn out the hat kind of thing, yeah. so, <laughs> yeah, so it was just pure luck that I got a place, but very good luck. So what attracted you to enter? I think the main thing that attracted me to it was that it was, um, rather than being like some of the more traditional old-fashioned security courses that are more like about life in a sock, so like responding to alerts and, you know, compliance and all this kind of stuff, it was it was the more modern kind of cloud-based um, content. So like, because mm -hmm. I feel like DevSecOps is where the future is when it comes to security. It's not... It's not sitting in an isolated sock and telling people, no, you can't do this. That's, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, and I think DevSecOps is kind of the, um, the end result of people realizing that that doesn't work. So a course that's designed to focus purely on that just seemed like a really good idea. And there's not many out there, to be honest. There aren't many, there aren't many other people doing courses like that at the minute. Like It's quite forward-thinking. So that's kind of what attracted me to it. The competition took place in October, but Emily started the course in December. I can't remember when I was given access straight away, because like, when you get given access, mm -hmm. from the moment you're given access, you have 30 days access to the online labs and all that kind right. of stuff, all the study materials. So it's a hands-on course? Yeah, super hands-on. Like, the labs make it. That's, you know, the best part of the course is the fact that you get to do the stuff rather than just watch a bunch of videos. Mm -hmm. There's actual doing stuff. So I think I... 
I think I probably got given access at the start of December or somewhere maybe like a week in or something like that and I actually probably started doing the studying over the Christmas break when I had more free time to really just even like dive into it and go. What sort of course material came with the course? So you get you get like a, a massive PDF with <laughs> just like loads of course notes. I can't remember how many pages it was. I'm pretty sure it's about 200 odd pages. It was pretty much a book. So you get a big, big, big PDF. You get a separate PDF of like lab um, exercises and then the solutions. So they're all like sort of walkthrough of the, the exercises. Mm -hmm. um, and you get access to an online portal which has all of the videos which have pretty much the same content as the PDF. So you can kind of choose which which you prefer to do. I, what I tended to do was like watch the videos and then read through the PDF. So I had got both. Um, so you get that. And then also you get access to a live lab environment. So you just like SSH into that and you know connect up a VPN to get access to all of the different machines in the lab environment. Um, I can't remember exactly which machines they had running, but there were like a couple of servers that ran like the CICD server, um, mm -hmm. you know, things that run like held Docker on them and stuff like that. And you could kind of just play around with them. So with these types of courses, there is normally an agreement between the student and course provider to not divulge the course details too much. So I asked Emily to share what sort of topics were covered. So I think, I can't, I'm trying to remember which order like the topics came in, but I can't remember. But so I'm pretty sure it covers, so it starts off with the software development life cycle. So it's quite high level theory based stuff around like, you know, this is what it used to be like, like it used to be waterfall and then we moved to agile and all this kind of stuff. So it talks a little bit about the theory of that. And then it moves into, I think it moves into Docker next. Um, right. So you spend like a module learning about Docker and learning about some of the tools that you can use, like some of the um, pre-built things that you can use through Docker. So like a, a container that can scan, statically scan your code for security vulnerabilities and things like mm -hmm. that. And how, because it's containerized, it's just much more, useful it's much more modular so you don't have to have like 50 tools installed on your you know your base um your base os you can just have it in docker and it's less um i don't know it's less onerous to use sure. um so there was, there was a whole section on docker and actually one thing that i found really helpful with the docker section in particular is that um the same company that's done this course has actually a oh god 12 weeks well anyway they have a long Docker course that's free. So it's called a six weeks course, but it does not take six weeks to do because I did not somehow magically combine six weeks into my 30 days of other stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they were just re releasing like one lesson a week or something. So I think it's like six lessons. Um, but that comes with like a whole separate machine and you can just work through those lessons as well. So because I'd never really used Docker before starting this course, mm -hmm. um, so I sort of did the Docker section of my course and then I went and did the six week free course that was like more in depth Docker stuff. And then I kind of joined back into the original course. Okay. Um, and after Docker, then you start focusing in on um, more the different uh, different types of scanning tools. So you've got like static analysis, dynamic analysis. Um, I'm trying to remember which like, what the name of the things we used were. I think mm -hmm. Z-Attack Proxy is more like dynamic analysis. Um, some static stuff. It's like Python scanning tool. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a mm -hmm. Python scanning tool. And there's one, I think, for um, JavaScript as well. So it seems the course illustrated the use of different security testing tools against specific development languages. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, what would fit best in your mm -hmm. tech stack where you work? Um, so different types of scanning tools. There was a section on um, 
scanning, statically scanning code for like secrets. So I think the tool that they covered was um, Truffle Hog. So you can like point at um, a repo. So the the tool that this course uses is GitLab. Mm -hmm. So um, it's got all the version control in there. It's like GitHub. GitLab is not the same as GitHub. I hope people from GitLab who listens to this aren't offended. Likewise, GitHub are introducing a lot of inbuilt security capabilities. I'm particularly excited about CodeQL, but let's cover that in another episode. Well, so that's the thing, right? So I think GitHub is trying to catch up a little bit in that respect because GitLab, it's not just version control. Like they have this whole like, um, continuous integration, continuous delivery system. Like you can build entire pipelines in GitLab just by mm -hmm. like writing a YAML file. It's super yeah. simple. Um, and so that's how this course introduces um, continuous integration, continuous delivery to students. Because there's like a million different systems you could use with CICD, right? You could mm -hmm. use Jenkins, you could use Travis, you could use CircleCI, Concourse. But they're all fundamentally they're all quite similar they're all mm -hmm. aiming to do the same thing so once you've learned one you can kind of figure out the rest and that's kind of what they're getting at the principles behind the same class of tools will no doubt be the same the difference are typically in their design with the GUI or CLI and the price tag yeah <laughs> that's a classic one um, open source on the way guys um, but yeah, so like you learn different scanning analysis tools mm -hmm. um, secrets analysis pre-commit hooks all that kind of stuff. Um, so you do that kind of section. And then the next section is more on um, configuring things and deploying configurations to a uh, different server. So for that is like a little section on Ansible okay. um, configuration management. So that, you know, the whole idea of having a golden image and having something configured in a very safe way and then pushing that out to different machines so that everyone's got the same tools installed. Um, and I think it, the course finishes on compliance as code, um, which they use in spec for. As always, there are a number of different solutions for each type of testing. This course uses Inspect, which is a great tool backed by Chef. Another vendor-driven solution is HashiCorp Sentinel. For the open source variant, and one that seems to be gaining a lot of traction, is Open Policy Agent. This is backed by the CNCF and has been presented by the likes of Netflix, Intuit and Capital One. So this one I was like not at all familiar with when I started with it. But, um... It's basically like enforcing different um, like policy standards. So you can get these like pre pre written um, compliance standards uh, on like the inspect. I think they it's either on inspects repo themselves or there's a couple of separate repos that are like attached to inspects repo. But it's things like if you want to be um, I don't know like PCI compliant or something right. like that. They've got like pre written or CIS um, or. That, that yeah, exactly. So, and they've got like pre-written tests that mm -hmm. like if you use Inspec, it can deploy those tests and then go, okay, yep, you've passed that. Yep, that's good. Yep, that's good. Oh, no, okay. like you don't have this configured correctly, so you need to go back and change it and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it was using like Inspec and Ansible in tandem with one another to complement each other. So you'd use Inspec to check if your configuration was good, and if it wasn't, mm -hmm. then you could use Ansible to fix it. Um, so it was all about like automating away the pain. So in the in the lab exercises, they typically have like some stuff that's like re like written for you. So they'll have like a little repo. Um, I think it's got like, a little web app in it or something. Mm -hmm. um, and there's already some code in there. And then you can the idea is that you build on top of that repo because you put your GitLab um, YAML file, which does all of your pipeline stuff, in that repo, and that will like deploy your scanning tools, your dynamic analysis tools, your inspect, your Ansible, like all that kind of stuff. So the idea is, like, can you, if you have a pre-existing environment, and then you go about hardening that environment using the okay. tools that you're learning. 
In addition to the course material, you get time-limited lab access. Let's see how long it took Emily. So I know I did it within the 30 days because after the 30 <laughs> okay. days you have to pay to like extend it. So I know it was 30 days, but I don't, mm -hmm. I want to say like two and a half weeks or something like that. I mean, if you're working full time, you'd probably want to spread it out more. Mm. But um, that was when I had my annual leave. I was like, I'm just going to hammer it. <laughs> I'm just going to do it so that when I go back to work, it's done and I don't have to worry about trying to study in the evenings and that kind of thing. Okay. But, you know, everyone does it differently. Wow, Emily can clearly focus. It only took her two and a half weeks to study and do the labs. Let's see what she says about the exam. Because <laughs> the exam is like super daunting. It's like a 12-hour exam. Right. There's no, there's no room for, because, you know, some exams, you know, I've done certifications in the past for like some of the data analysis stuff I used to do. Mm -hmm. And there are always, you know, multiple choice exams, you just, yeah. and they have practice papers, and you just go through the practice papers, go through them, go through them, go through them, memorize, 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 until you can get it off that. With this course, there's not, so there's no past papers, for one thing, that's just nothing. <laughs> um, it's entirely practical, like, the, they set you five challenges, which kind of cover each of the modules that you've learned, mm -hmm. and it's like, right, here's a, here's a pipeline, fix it, basically, but with, the, 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 like, the five different challenges. Right. Um, and prior to going into like doing the exam and getting the questions through and like starting, you have no idea what it's going to be like. They tell you beforehand you have 12 hours to complete it and you think surely, surely it won't take that. Like surely they wouldn't expect me to, you know, work solidly for 12 hours. And so I didn't spend 12 hours doing it. I think it took me about eight hours, but okay. there's no hiding from it. Like, no, nope, you just gotta, just gotta do it. <laughs> there's no easy way around it. <laughs> I think part, part of the reason mine took um, eight hours is because I managed to um, break the lab environment halfway <laughs> through the exam. She broke the exam rig, but still had time to complete it. Amazing. How did she break it? I got like the first question sorted pretty much, and I went on to the next one, and mm -hmm. I pushed some dodgy code to the pipeline. Um, I think I was trying to use a Docker container that it didn't like for whatever reason. I can't remember the exact details, but something about it I really didn't like and the um the CICD server that was running the pipeline just kind of died GitLab is the development environment of choice here for the course and exam for those of you who haven't played with GitLab let me try to explain what it is at a very high level there is a web UI where you can view the code and binary artifacts that you've developed and produced you have an issues log for your project as well you can also create a project wiki and there's a whole bunch of other stuff for you to configure. So it's a great environment to introduce people to most of the elements used in modern development. Now when you have defined a pipeline or a job, these actually run on what's called runners. In the SAS environment, there are shared runners, but you can stand up your own to work just on your projects. So for Emily, it was her runner that died during the exam, which means none of her jobs could be executed. Stressful. So they give you like a dedicated instance for your um, for your lab and for your exam, and I, and it was like one of those things where it's it gives you like a weird error message and you're like what have I done what have I done and then you're like googling around trying to find obscure error messages and understand them and stuff in the middle of an exam not the best time, and I tried to like post on the Slack forum and they did get, actually they got back to me on the Slack forum with them bearing in mind this is like random time on a Sunday when I was doing this so that was pretty good of them so, so they have like um, a Slack instance and there's a couple of different channels on Slack of course um, 
and so they don't have a specific like I'm now doing the exam Slack channel or anything like that, but they right. they always have a staff member on duty like just monitoring Slack. So you can mm -hmm. usually direct message whoever's online, like you can just see who's online sure. um, and message them to help me. <laughs> um, so it wasn't too bad. Um, it wasn't too bad. But in terms of like the actual doing of the exam, I pretty much. I would sort of do one question to the best of my ability and then mm. move on and then go back if I could think of anything else. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, if I could think of it, like, oh, it would be better if I did it this way, like I'd go back and rewrite it and stuff like that and take as many screenshots as possible because you have to submit a report at the end of it right. showing what you've done. Like they don't mod, like they don't, I don't think they like record what you're doing. So you just kind of have to build the thing, run it, um, you know, save code files and things like that of results you get back from scans and stuff like that. So all of the different scan artifacts that you can download from the um, from the GitLab environment, like it will save them to the pipeline. You can download them as separate files. Um, you zip all that up and like write a report on your findings, and that's your submission for like exam marking. Okay. So I was taking like a million screenshots just because, like not even just because to show them what I was doing, but to remember where I was and what I was doing and like to remind myself to make notes because it's no good doing the whole exam and then at the end going, right, and now I write it up. What did I do? <laughs> it's very easy to fall into that trap. <laughs> and the format of the report? And you can kind of write around, you know, what you were thinking at the time and why you did things a certain way. It's kind of, it's quite free from, they don't send you like a template and mm -hmm. fill out this form and answer this question. It's, it's quite free from, it's like, I think it's kind of intended to be a bit like if you were going to do a security assessment of someone's, uh, you know, estate or something and you were yeah. going to give a report to the customer. It was kind of, I think that was what they were kind of going for. Okay. So is this course for everyone? How much additional studying outside of the course material is required? Yeah, so uh, I think it depends on the kind of experience you have going into the course. I was pretty much starting from scratch. Um, mm. So there were some things, and like a lot of the time, you don't have to go into the extra details. It's like, why does it run like this if I press this flag, but not that mm. flag? Like, for the most part, you don't need to do that for the labs. But I found myself asking really obscure questions on the Slack channel because I wanted to understand the mechanics of the things that I was using. Mm -hmm. So it kind of depends on you as a person, but. Um, I, I tended to do a fair bit of extra research just because I wanted to understand from the ground up how something mm. worked rather than just, I hit the button and it does the thing. Like, I, how? <laughs> like, how underneath does it do the thing? So I did a lot of like research around that. And the Slack channel is really helpful for that because um, Imran's just like, um, Mo, whichever the staff member, there was one staff member who replied within like seconds of putting a, like, a Slack <laughs> message up and they were the best one. Um, but like I'd ask really weird questions around like um, how GitLab runs Docker and how, and because there's like five different ways you can get GitLab to use Docker. It's not as simple as just running it on your machine because you're trying to get a, you know, a separate pipeline to run it for you. Right. Um, so like questions about the internals of GitLab and things like that, they were really great at answering them. What's next now that you've aced this course and exam? Yeah, so I haven't been doing, so one of the things that the engineering team where I work has been building is um, a pre-commit hook for secrets management, so like to prevent developers like leaking access keys and stuff like that. So it came in really handy there because I was like, oh, hey, hang on, I've, I've studied this. <laughs> like, have you guys considered truffle hogs? So that was really good. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the things that they were looking into was things that I'd heard of and I could kind of suggest things and stuff like that. That was really, really handy. Um, but I've been kind of studying more around 
um, so Python programming, but in a in a more secure way, in a in a way that's like a bit more like a professional software engineer rather than just scripting, which is all I was doing. Like when I was doing, you know, um, data analytics, it, it, the code that you write to analyze data doesn't have to be fantastic. All I care about is the results at the end, like the code in there. Um, <laughs> but if you're writing production code or like secure code, then that matters a lot. Um, so I've kind of moved from studying uh, code analysis and things like that to learning more about things like unit testing, end-to-end -end testing, that kind of stuff that kind of works together in harmony with these kinds of um, scanning tools and stuff like that. Are you going to pick up any other development language or just stick to Python? So I'm not looking at any other, I was considering Go, because that's, um, well, either, I'm, I'm torn between Go and Rust, because they're both quite good, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I haven't decided yet, one of those two, but um, I'm kind of at the moment, I'm focusing on Python, but also trying to learn more about AWS, because I do a lot of monitoring of AWS where I work, like I spend a lot of time looking at CloudTrail logs, mm -hmm. and understanding what developers are doing, but I find that you can look at as many logs as you like, but unless you've used the system in anger yourself, you'll never really understand why it's doing a certain thing. So, yeah. you know, playing with AWS, I've spent a lot of time doing as well. What advice would you give to our listeners that are trying to break into the DevSecOps space? Oh, well, meetups. I, so at the minute, obviously, it's a little challenging to go to meetups. Um, but people are still doing online meetups. So I would still recommend, you know, go to meetups, um, if you have to do it by Zoom or whatever, that's cool, because it kind of, it gives you a chance not just to learn from your peers, because generally you'll find people do really good talks at meetups, and you can learn just by listening, but also you can talk to people um, that are already in that industry, and they're really good for just kind of pointing you in the right direction and suggesting things, and for me, I got a free course out of it, so it's double win, um, <laughs> so there's that side of it. Um, the other side of it as well is just kind of, I think... It depends on how you like to work. A lot of people prefer structured training. I prefer structured training. So for me, doing a course is always a solid start to like, you know, getting into something. Mm -hmm. Other people will find they prefer to just build a thing and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So picking a project that you think would be interesting and learning how to build it using modern tools and modern software um, is always a good way to start if you're not sure. Um, but yeah, just talking to people and, and experimenting with stuff I think is the best way to go if you want to get into this kind of field. From your point of view, how has DevSecOps impacted the industry? One thing that I'm really interested in with the industry and where it's going is um, is the kind of convergence between data science and cybersecurity because I think that's going to be important in the future mm -hmm. and I'd be really interested to see what other people think about it because for me like and this is probably the you know probably a degree of bias here because I spend a lot of my time looking at system logs so <laughs> naturally that's where I'm going to be thinking about stuff um, but when you're looking at like you know system logs and you're getting gigabytes maybe terabytes of data coming in daily mm -hmm. it, like the traditional rules-based signature-based um, uh, detections that you would normally write to look for like bad behavior yeah it's just not adequate anymore like you'll end up getting tons of false positives or it won't catch the important stuff because of the sheer volume of data it just doesn't work um and, and that's where as I well think, right understanding the environment the application what what's norm meant to yeah. look like <laughs> how do you baseline when you've got gigabytes and gigabytes you can't just like do it by eye like oh yeah it's about the peak there that's probably fine like it doesn't work <laughs> so i think that's where you can start applying things like really um more modern um, 
machine learning, like machine artificial learning. intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All of those things like you know anomaly detection. Because mm -hmm. um, a machine, generally speaking, when it comes to data, unless you've got it in a graph, like humans are quite good with visual things. But if it's just numbers or just log lines, machines are a lot better at reading, interpreting that kind of stuff than humans are. That's just how we're built, and that's just how machines are built. So if you want to, you know, if you want to write an algorithm that can detect strange behavior or that can kind of monitor user behavior over a period of time and then detect when it's changing or when it might be people might behave differently. I think machine learning, data science, all that kind of cool sexy stuff is like where it's going to be. Um, if you're staying in the security analyst kind of profession, which is where I'm in, mm -hmm. I think maybe if you're a DevSecOps engineer, you're doing less data analysis and more like building things. So maybe, I don't know, maybe less useful for you, but yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I'm interested in the minute. I'm kind of interested to hear what other people think about it. Is this going to be your next project? Possibly, possibly. So I spend a lot of time. I, I should, I should. I spend a lot of time writing like queries and search queries and things like that in Splunk. And Splunk has a built-in machine learning toolkit that I'm definitely going to try at some point. Like once, <laughs> once I figure out how it works, because <laughs> it's like one of those proprietary things, and you're like, hmm, click, click, click. Oh no, I broke it. Um, <laughs> But that's the whole point, right? Experimenting and having a go. So yeah. I'm going to kind of play with that, I think, in the coming weeks. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? Oh, you know, it's probably LinkedIn, actually. It'd be LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, I don't know how easy I am to find on LinkedIn because <laughs> I've got a really common name. <laughs> so maybe don't try LinkedIn. Um, Twitter, my Twitter handle... You might need to just like write it down or something because it's a really stupid handle. I chose like the most obnoxious, difficult to pronounce. Because it's all, you know, like, um, like, leet code when yeah. you're like L33. It's kind of like that. So it's a rainbow analyst, but like the I's are ones, the A's are fours, like that kind sure. of stuff. So it's like my password. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's really dorky, but it's, you know, it's my Twitter account. So I'm allowed to be dorky on Twitter. <laughs> Um, well, if you can't find Emily, um, hopefully you'll be able to reach out to me and I, I can bridge the gap. Yeah, I'm always hanging about on like, um, you know, like the Mio forums as well. So you can probably find me on there as well. Okay, super. Well, thank you for speaking to us, Emily. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Great. Take care.